Lowell Jensen presents the Keith Lowell Jensen Show with Keith Lowell Jensen. Hello, this is Keith Lowell Jensen on the Keith Lowell Jensen Show with Keith Lowell Jensen. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to my first podcast. I'm so excited to be doing this first episode. um, And I want to start by explaining why. Why am I doing this? Um, Lots of reasons. And being trapped in my house, unable to perform comedy is definitely and for sure one of them. But uh, not the only one. Uh, Like the rest of you, I wake up and am hit with negative, horrible news every day right now. And uh, that's appropriate because horrible, negative things are afoot in the world. But to take an hour a week and just talk with an artist that I love about art that I love sounds like more than a good idea. It sounds vital. sounds healthy. And these dark topics I mentioned aren't forbidden. They may come up, but at least when they come up here, it'll be in the context of art that is healing from them, confronting them, even taking them on. So I'm very excited to be doing this, and I will be talking to my absolute favorite artists. Uh, And I have one of them with me tonight. But before I introduce my first guest, I'm going to thank my first sponsor. And I'm going to promise you, dear listener, that I will never say that I like something that I don't actually like, even if I'm paid to do so. All right. So luckily, my first sponsor is the record label that has put out my last three albums, and I love them. 800 Pound Gorilla Records. They're bringing you great comedy. They've got really good taste in comedy, and they do a really good job recording it. Uh, and they treat their artists really, really well, and that means a lot to me. They're they're good people. Uh, right now, you can check out Son of a Gary, the new comedy album by Dan Soder. It's available everywhere. And of course, you can check out my latest album and special, Not for Rehire, which is on Amazon Prime and all the other places. And uh, in fact, leave a review. (laughs) I'm real hungry for reviews right now. So my first guest, we finally got into that. My first guest is Anton Barbeau. I first saw Anton uh, performing when I was just a teenager and posters with his name and face covered polls all around Sacramento, which doesn't make him a lot older than me. It makes him someone who got started really early because we were about the same age, I believe. And he was already the hot commodity around town, uh, California. Uh, Sacramento, California's Midtown uh, was all abuzz with Anton when I was a young man. Um, His career has gone international since then. He's one of the most prolific recording artists I've ever witnessed. Hello, Anton. How are you? Hello, Keith. I am fine and well, and it's quite uh, quite uh, an honor to be on your uh, first first show. Of course, maybe maybe this isn't the first show. Maybe you're going to record 20 of them and then... uh pick and choose, you know, but uh, I'm, I'm right. happy to be here. No, we're going to stick with this one as the first one. I, I <laughs> like the integrity of that. And I've said it too many times now. I locked myself in. That might have been a bad idea. Anton, I mentioned that you are prolific. And I have to tell you, and I think you've seen me joke about this on uh, on the old Facebook before. I get told that I record too much. I just released my eighth comedy album. And uh, you are my defense. I always say no. Uh, <laughs> you know, while I was sitting here posting this Facebook post, uh, Anton put out three more albums. Um, how many albums do you have out now? Um, according to my press release, uh, something like 30 plus. And I'm not sure. I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure who's counting those or how those are being counted, but I have a lot of records. I think that includes reissues and things like that. So the compilations, collaborations. I see that you do a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and when was the first album out? Uh, well, I, I mean, I put out cassettes back in the mid 80s i my my very first cassette was called more with a question mark at the end it okay. was a 90 minute uh, uh cassette with all the all the pop songs were on side two and the first the first uh, a side of the cassette was just noise which is which i find impressive now I mean, I, <laughs> there's integrity isn't it but, uh, yeah um, and then the first first cd was the was called the horse's tongue and that was 1992 90 three, something like that. Yeah. That's the one that I'm aware of. I remember when that came out and, and, and we were all listening to it. Um, not to, not to hit you with a heavy question right off the top, but, uh, Oh man, Anton, what, what happened to the joy boys? What the hell did, okay. And, and you're remodeling a basement right now. I see you posting about working on a basement and then the joy boys have disappeared. Are the joy boys buried in that basement, Anton? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm remodeling the basement by any means, but, but my dad still lives in that house. And, and for years, um, so have a family of possum. <laughs> and so I've been trying to clean out the, the, 
the mess. The, Are these possums perchance known as the Joy Boys? No, <laughs> they're just known <laughs> as the possums that live in the basement and have made a, a filthy, toxic mess. But we also found out that there was a, a broken uh, sewage pipe down there as well. So it's not just the possums that are to blame. Um but uh, let's see, the Joy Boys. I mean, the Joy Boys, actually, we were together for about six years. And then uh, um, maybe 1994, 95, something like that, we were making another album. And I was kind of sort of taking over all the parts saying, here, let me show you how to play the bass line. Let okay. me... Here, can I let me see the guitar? Here, let me just hit record. Let me show. Here, this is how I wanted to go, and and it, <laughs> and it just seemed it seemed a, a bit silly to carry on when it was when it was happening like that. But um, um, and, and yeah, uh, well, when were the Mellow Submarines? Where do they fit in? There? <laughs> they don't. So uh, no, that some was, of these <laughs> some of the many names we've known for your bands just made up fictional. No, no. The Mellow Submarines was actually the first name that the Joy Boys went under. We did, oh, okay. one, yeah, we did one gig with that name, and and the, our first drummer uh, Michael Urbano. He said, "Look, after the gig, he said, look, man, you know, either you change the name or I'm out.'" And, uh, <laughs> and fair enough. That's great. The Mellow Submarines is actually probably one of the worst band names anybody's <laughs> ever come up with. You know, and I I didn't mean it ironically. I thought I was doing a good thing for the world. <laughs> Are Anyways, there others? So, are there other band names? Yeah, so we got the Joy Boys, we got the Mellow Submarines. What else we got? Um, God, uh, I had I had a band in Sacramento called Anton UK for a little while. Okay. Um, in the UK, I had a band. Uh, how, so this is we can you can bleep this out, but if you need to, but I had a band that was uh, uh, called Soft Cock. Um, nice. But the only about gig boneless we, chicken. Well, the only gig we ever did, we we, we were rebranded the the Gentles uh, right before the gig because they would they refused to bill us as soft cock. Um, <laughs> so no, I mean I've had I've had a lot of bands, and some of the bands have have you know lasted no longer than than half a name or something like that. So right, they never got up to a full name. Yeah, Anton Barbeau and the half a name. Hmm. Um, my friend's mom. And this is a, she was a band mom. I was in a band with her son. Actually wrote an angry letter to the News and Review asking them to write about some other musicians other than Anton Barbeau for a change. (laughs) (laughs) This is, this is the lock. This is the lock that you had on the Sacramento scene in the early 90s. Did it feel like that from your perspective that you, you know, you, you were a much loved guy about town? Yeah, I mean, it was a funny time uh, because I th- I just sort of remember if I wasn't on the cover of something or if I wasn't in the News and Review or the Magpie Weekly or the Suttertown News or the Sacramento Bee, if I wasn't in something on a given week, I, I'd, I'd be furious. You know, I was so oh, jealous. Yeah? I was jealous of everybody else who, why why are they getting coverage this week? Don't I, I what about me? You know, so it was quite silly. I mean, I, I know I did get a, a lot of coverage, but... um you know so let's let's go back a little bit earlier uh how old were you when you started playing music um well i mean i was 13 when i you know quote became a musician when sort of the the light of the universe opened up over my head and said you know ye shall be the next gary newman um <laughs> I, I started playing music as a child you know but but age 13 it kind of hit me that that's that was my thing so and were your parents, did your parents play music in the house? Uh, my mother played a little bit of guitar. I remember, um, she, she died when I was very little, but I do remember her playing acoustic guitar for me and singing. Uh, and they, they, my parents took me to Yamaha music lessons when I was also very little. And okay. I think the Yamaha is, is like the Suzuki method that it's, it's primarily, uh, uh, meant to teach children ear training. So you can sort of basically teach yourself music i think um i don't i barely remember those lessons but i I think those probably had an impact on me and otherwise it was just listening to records you know i think that's half the education you know just listening to the beatles and everything else so the beatles who who else were you into uh when you were starting out like like who i mean someone something must have inspired you at 13 to to want to play music uh, 
It, it actually, it really was Gary Newman. Um, okay. I mean, I'd been a lifelong Beatles fan and, and I loved a lot of sixties pop and just, uh, and my dad and I would listen to K108, K108 FM, which was, you know, soft rock or whatever. So it was, we were bonding over James Taylor and Dan Fogelberg and, and things like that. And then, um, yeah, I, I turned 13 and just, I, I think it was seeing Gary Newman and then the B-52s and, ah. the, and the specials all on Saturday Night Live. Seeing those guys, um, that was sort of life-changing. And uh, from that point on, I was just sort of on a quest to discover what this new music was. And, and so, yeah, it was Gary Newman that, that, that actually inspired me to become a musician. I was, I was obsessed and, and still, love, still love his stuff, you know. So when did, it, uh, when did you get your first band together? Uh, well... I mean, the first real band was the Joy Boys, but in the years before that, there were always the sort of living room or rec room or basement bands. And, you know, I think sure. had one band called the Clones, and that was spelled with a K and a Z, you know, <laughs> Clones. And, um, and, you know, but otherwise just bands that never never quite went anywhere, you know. So just your first, re- like, functioning gigging band was the Joy Boys. Yes, yes. I mean, I did. I did. Um, I used to perform with with a friend of mine, Steve Green. We did um a thing called the Psychedelic Love Cowboys, and um, you know, our the much beloved Jerry Perry kind of discovered us and put us on stages here and there, and we were more of a acoustic comedy folk punk duo, something like that. Okay. <laughs> um, we, we got some great gigs. We opened for, um, Thin White Rope and True West and I think Mojo Nixon and, you know, oh, wow. we, but we were, so we were, we were playing rock clubs and, and opening for these great rock bands, but we were just, um, two guys with one acoustic guitar, you know? Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Doing a lot of, you know, we, I think we did Simon and Garfunkel covers and, you know, lots of harmonies. That was, that was our thing. And we yeah, were, yeah. Appar- apparently we were silly. People and like and whose whose hand was the guitar in that you, you were handling the guitar or no no just... Steve Steve Green did most of the guitar work oh, and then okay. I, I I sort of had my one number and so we he'd pass the guitar over to me and I, <laughs> I I had this one very frantic song called Take the Bottle from the Baby and I, I played at hyperspeed and and by the end of the the, the song I'd be there'd be blood all over the guitar you know I just oh I my very, goodness I was very very excited and very unskilled and so you know. It was a, <laughs> Pretty much every gig, there'd be blood. So, yeah. You used the word psychedelic, and that is probably the word I've most used, uh, heard used, rather, to describe your genre or describe your sound. And I don't know that I've ever really, I mean, XTC is described as psychedelic and Robin Hitchcock and the tea company. I, I don't know that I, what do you, how do you feel about that word and that word being associated with your music? Oh, I, I, I've, I'm fine with it. I mean, I love, I love psychedelic music and, you know, um, I love many things psychedelic and, uh, I think I've, I wouldn't say drifted in that direction, but sometimes taken, you know, great strides in that direction. Um, <laughs> you know, I just, I like weird music. I, I can do very normal. Well, no, <laughs> I, can, I, I, you know, there, there's this, this image that, that I could have a main, and this has been an image for a long time that I could, or could have had a mainstream hit if only I'd wanted to, but that's never been the case. I've always been drawn towards surrealism and, and towards sort of subversive music as well. I mean, I love pop music. I love straightforward melodies and, and hooks, uh, but I love things that are very, very twisted and, and, you know, so much psychedelic music is just very, very twisted and, deep and dark and purple and you know so i'm 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 quite okay with it um yeah i was going to ask you what are the kind of defining characteristics of psychedelic music obviously the list you just said uh, purple mm-hmm. yeah that's it that's pretty uh, much it <laughs> Any, anything else that you would add to that list that sets well, uh, something apart as this is clearly say because to me it, it sounds like pop that's maybe just a little more adventurous and fun but there's definitely like really strong pop hooks in there there, there can be i mean they can also do your you know 23 minute space jams um <laughs> i don't know i don't i don't know that i'm the one to define anything really but um you know the, the cliches are you know you throw in an, an electric sitar and all of a sudden you're you know okay. it's psychedelic but um no i don't know i don't i don't really want to deal in cliches but but you know that the word psychedelic means mind manifesting and and you know, I like that. I like music that that's trying to to reach into somebody's brain and you know, rejig the the hemispheres or something like that. So, uh, 
you're in Sacramento with the Joy Boys and then you start kind of just becoming Anton Barbeau instead of Anton Barbeau and the Joy Boys. Uh, and then I lose track of you for a little bit. And then the next thing I hear, you are a big deal over in England and they're nuts about you. Uh, and then I start hearing about you living in Berlin. And uh, I see that you collaborated with a lot of really terrific artists. Um, how did that happen? How did you end up becoming a European commodity? <laughs> <laughs> I can I can assure you that that I'm I'm as big over there as I am over here. Um, <laughs> we'll see where over here because we just talked about twenty block radius where you're huge. <laughs> you're right, exactly, exactly. You know, I I, I have probably a, you know a similar sort of five or six person fan base in in countries scattered around the world. You know, I mean, uh, that's um, a great way to do it. I love that. Oh yeah, I mean, I moved. I, let's see, I, I started going over to England. Okay, so it, it actually, you, you, if you if we want to pull it back to Sacramento and psychedelic music, I did a gig at Ironsides uh, in in the old hometown with a band called the Bevis Frond, and I didn't mm-hmm. know I didn't know much about them. I'd heard their name. I thought for some reason they were a well coiffed hair band. I don't know who I was mixing <laughs> them up with, but you know, it turns out that there's just a bunch of long hair freaks, and uh, and I you know, was blown away. I, I absolutely fell in love with them and, and we, we clicked. And so they, the Bevis Ron invited me over to England for, to, to do a, a concert with them. So I, I went over there and, and played in England in maybe 2001, something like that. And, um, I remember my first gig in London. I, I thought, "Oh gosh, it's it's England. I've really got to be polite here for these proper British people." You know? <laughs> and uh, you know, so I'm on stage saying, "Oh gosh, it's really lovely. It's great to be here. Oh, you guys are so nice." And I was like, "Get on it, you fucking can't." You know, you can edit that out as well. <laughs> and I just kind of learned right away. Oh, these are my people. You know, um, and so yeah, I, I, I did did the gig with the Bevis Frond, and then a year later, I went back over and re- recorded an album with them, and. Um, you know, again, I, I here I'm thinking that it. You know, speaking of psychedelic, I thought I thought basically they're going to dose me with acid, and I was going to wake up in a field with cows around me, and they'd say, "Oh, mate, your record's done." You know, it's fantastic. But instead, it was a and very, you were good with that. Well, I didn't know what to expect, but it was actually <laughs> incredible. It was incredibly professional, streamlined recording experience. You know, just boom, we knocked out an album in two weeks, and um, and that's the Anton Frond. <laughs> it's been called that. Yeah. It's, uh, there was, the record is called the, called King of Missouri. And that's actually, oh, you know, that's right. And that's what, what, what led us to Stuart Lee, which I know, I know if, if you want to go there at, at some point, uh, it was the Bevis Ron that kind of connected, connected me to Stuart Lee, but, uh, yeah, you, you can, know. okay. see, I'm going to call you on your bullshit here. You can't tell me that you are not a bigger name in England. And then you've got Stuart Lee, maybe my favorite living comedian, uh, singing your praises yeah, well, no, in the newspaper. I, I mean, I'm. I I don't know how to address or assess my own, you know, uh, audience. Right. I mean, I do have. Um, I have an audience in England. I have an audience in Spain. I I really I've I lived in Berlin for years, and I don't have much of an audience in Germany. You know, so no? I do I do have. Uh, people around the world who like what I do. I don't mean to kind of, uh, I don't mean to knock so, some level of, of achievement or success, but it's, but, but no, no matter what, what I do is still always very culty. And so when I, I can boast that Stuart Lee was in the front row at my last London gig, then I can also very honestly say, yeah. And he was one of about maybe 10 people there, maybe 15. And that, <laughs> and that includes the other bands, right? In a very small venue. Right. So, so, you know, what, what I do is still very culty, but I think Stuart Lee is also a fan of very culty artists. So it just happened to, to be a nice connection. Yeah, uh, And that's, that's kind of the story of my career overall. I mean, I've done some really groovy things with some really groovy people, but it's always somehow ultimately been on a kind of small and you know, it looks really good in my in my press kit, but but it's still ten people or twenty people, sometimes five hundred people at a concert, but usually it's ten people. You know, so well, I, you know, the, if one of them Stuart Lee, that's yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I I hear you. He, he's 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 my hero too. You know, yeah, I don't. He's, I, he's phenomenal. Yeah, I I, I don't. You know. It, that that does go in my my press kit, you know. <laughs> He's right, always right. there. He's always yeah, there. That, that's where I saw it. Yeah, and and I have to write you and say, 
Wait, this is the comedian Stuart Lee? I thought maybe there's another Stuart Lee. This couldn't be the comedian yeah. Stuart Lee waxing about a guy that I know. Yeah, That's but he, amazing. but he's, he, you know, I, like I said, I first heard about him because, you know, the guys in the Bevis France said, oh, mate, you know, Stuart Lee's going to review the record for the Sunday Times. And, ooh, you know, and I oh, knew cool. that the Sunday, I knew that the Sunday Times was a big deal, but they said, yeah, Stuart Lee's a big deal too. I'm like, oh, okay. And so I checked him out and thought, you know, I just fell in love with his stuff. And yeah. Um, yeah, no, he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. And he's, a, you know, he's a big fan of the Bevis Frond. He's a fan of the fall. He likes all kinds of, you know, he's, he's a fan of the freaky stuff. Yeah. Um, I, so. I had a gig with, uh, Hari Kondabulu up in Seattle and mm-hmm. he turned me on to Stuart Lee and I will always appreciate him for that. Cause uh, yeah, wow. Yeah. Just, uh, I get accused of my delivery being too slow sometimes and Stuart <laughs> Lee goes about half the speed that I go. So I'm like, okay, no, you can make them be patient. You can make them wait. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm just going to ask if you think there's something in particular that resonated with European audiences and, and it sounds like you're just looking for those individuals you resonate with all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I, th- I guess I was always sort of. It was always suggested that oh, you'll you'll do well in Europe. People always said that about my music, and that maybe they just want to get rid of me over here, you know. But uh, um, I mean, I, I I've toured Spain probably fifteen times now, and I go over there, and and they they love psychedelic music, and they love power pop, and they love sort of you know any any genre that i've ever had my toes dipped into uh seems to do well in spain and so there's a very eager audience for me there um plus you know that they're they're pretty good with their surrealism they've they've cranked out a few surrealists and so i I think (laughs) that 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 part of my my performance works works well uh with a spanish audience and um and yeah um like I said, I mean, I go, I, I lived in England for, for, for years. And so that was, it's pretty easy to, for me to build something up over there. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of go where I can try to find something. I did, did one tour of Italy and it was kind of very hit and miss. And the idea was that if I kept going back, cause they're also big psychedelic mu- music fans. If I kept going back, I could have made something happen, but I, I, it didn't happen. You know, me and me and the promoter were kind of at odds and so forth. And so, that, that's a rough one. And I, I have that, you know, even here in the States when I tour with it, there's a city that you go to and you maybe haven't cracked that nut yet, but that that's the way you'll crack it is you just have to keep coming, going back. Yeah. And, and if you don't at least have a cool promoter or something on the ground. Well, that's a real, real pain in the ass to keep going back. Yeah. I mean, and, and it, you know, sometimes it's luck of the draw or, you know, if you don't know where you're going and you don't know anybody there, you know, you, you'll, maybe you take whatever gig you can find. Uh, my first, my first, most of my gigs in Amsterdam, I used to, I used to play there fairly often. Most of my gigs, there were very clean, you know, in these very clean, you know, art galleries and libraries and things right. like that. And then I, then I got booked in, um, some squatted hotel, and this was in a part of town I'd never been. And all of a sudden it's these like freaks, you know, these hippies and, and, and very, you know, sort of anarchists. And, and, and that was a great gig. It was very rough and people, you know, were throwing things, but in a good way. And, and <laughs> you know, it's, it's a very different world. And at the end of that gig, some guy takes me aside and, you know, he says, you know, Obama CIA, you know that, right? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, I didn't know that, but, but I believe you because, we're all incredibly high. So sure. You know, um, <laughs> but that was, a, that was a, a different, that, that one gig was a different world than any I'd ever experienced, you know, gigging in Amsterdam before. So, you know, it, you kind of something, something leads you somewhere, whether yeah. it's, you know, and, and it can take a few visits for, before a place opens up to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in whatever magical way it opens up to you. And then every once in a while you just go to a place and it just, you just grok it and it groks you right out the gate. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. So we've covered your history a bit. Uh, you're back in Sacramento right now, and you are promoting a new album, Man Bird, and it is fantastic. What a what a beautiful, beautiful record. I've listened to it uh, on repeat all weekend. Uh, I think I was telling you when, when you made it available to me that I had a long drive ahead of me. Uh, crazy gig. Drove, mm. you know, five hours up to Arcata, performed for 45 minutes in a socially distanced room 
and then got in my car and drove back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, yeah, I was really curious how that was going to go because I think uh, you were nervous about about doing a gig in this, you know, in these you know, conditions. And, and they invited me to sleep on the stage. Nobody else was going to be in the club except for the owner, who I think lives upstairs temporarily uh, while he's in the doghouse with his wife. Typical for mother stuff. But they were like, you can sleep on the stage of the whole place to yourself. And uh, I get there and I just, I was just like, oh, it's so weird to even be outside right now. Like it feels wrong. And, um, but, but I also like driving at night. And I often will do gigs in LA and I, I have a place to stay. And at the last minute, I'm like, screw it. I'm pulling an all nighter. You know, I'm going to go get some angry <laughs> <and> coffee. <laughs> um, but it was, it was nice to, to drive and, and to blast your album and to hear it over and over again. Um, what I'll say about the album right off the top and, and then see what you think of this, but the album and, and speaking of cliches, this may sound like a, a cliche, but it's totally sincere. The album felt like a journey. Like it was really going somewhere from one song to the next almost like it could be the soundtrack for a piece of musical theater or an opera. And I'm wondering if that's how the album felt to you uh, when you were putting it together. Yeah, it really was. I mean, it's basically a concept album. Um, I'm trying to remember the exact quote, but it's something like a concept album about uh, uh, leaving the nest, traveling the world, and then coming home or finding home or something like that. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, that's true. I mean, uh, it was inspired, um, you know, it's called Man Bird. It's inspired by, by having seen the film Lady Bird. And, oh. Uh, yeah. And I, you know. That we never even occurred to me. I'm a silly person. Yeah, yeah. We, well, the th- yeah. I mean, of course, she's, she's growing up in Sacramento. She's a Catholic girl. I was a little Catholic boy. Maybe a, a key difference is that she could not wait to get out of town, whereas I was quite, you know, quite scared to leave town, to leave the nest. And um, uh, I love the line about never leaving the grid. Uh, yes. So you don't have your, how, how did you word it? So you don't have your innocence, lose your innocence abroad? Uh, I, I never left the grid for fear I'd lose my innocence abroad. And the so. thought of you losing your innocence in Rancho Cordova just tickled me. But I was also one of those uh, grid people for a long time where we did. We, we would stay in the in the little midtown grid all the time. Yeah, you know, I I I I was a little little micro superstar in in Midtown Sacramento. So, you know, I thought I had everything I needed and I had I had I had major labels calling me at home almost interested and so I just kept thinking, oh, I I'm not I didn't even have to get out of bed and I'm going to be a superstar and it never right. really it never really worked that way. So, so here it is decades later and we were in Madrid we had a we, you know on tour in Spain and had a night off and so um, Julie and I went to go see uh, Lady Bird and you know and and it kind of struck me oh well I guess I've left the nest because here we are in in Spain you know on tour for the umpteenth time and um, so the original idea was we we're going to make a film where I just sort of wander around Sacramento following in the footsteps of Lady Bird just you know except I'm looking very sullen and kind of and that was going to be the whole film or something like that but uh, <laughs> I realized well maybe my calling is as a musician after all so right. I, I just started writing um, I wrote the title track and then I all the songs followed from there. And I knew, I knew that it was going to be a sort of a a themed album, a concept album about, because my, my life in the last years has been about constant travel, uh, always back and forth, always in between, you know, never quite sure what home is. You know, I've lived in Berlin for, it'd be nine years this month, except I haven't been there for six months, you know? So do I live in Berlin? You know, I'm, I'm, I, I have a residence permit, so I'm a German resident. But, um, and before that, I lived in England for five years or more. Um, and I'm, I've been traveling, I've, you know, I've lived more on an airplane than on the ground, it feels like. And so this album, it reflects that it's, it's meant to be a musical travelogue as well. So it, it covers all the ground and it's back and forth, back and forth, all the songs, you know. I was going to ask you how much of it you wrote on an airplane. <laughs> from creepy tray to you know going through security i mean there are many many references to airports and airplanes and right right no i mean it's just that's that has been my life for for years now and and really trying to um trying to to settle you know trying to get my feet in the ground as my therapist puts it you know i've been trying to do that and now and now ironically or not the album comes out while i'm grounded i'm kind of back home and i'm grounded uh which was maybe the goal of this album if you you know if you listen to the songs maybe that's right. the 
that that's the the idea or the ideal, but uh, nonetheless, it's just sort of ironic that I'm I am grounded for the for the time being. And, um, and, and what actually grounded you is the pandemic, right? Right. I mean, I, I got out of Berlin uh, when 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 there was sort of a panic about you know could we even get a flight? And sure enough, my flight out of Berlin was chaotic. They, they everybody was scrambling. I got to Tegel Airport and thought I was you know ready to get onto the the next flight to Frankfurt and blah blah blah. And then they canceled the flight, and so everyone just kind of goes crazy and people pushing each other out of the way and so forth and so then we get into the the next queue, the next the next queue to get you know a, you know a new ticket to some other airport we don't even know where yet and there suddenly there's a bomb scare and oh my God. you know it was just, and 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 meanwhile you know there's this pandemic that that nobody quite knows what to do with yet so everyone's freaked out about being anywhere near each other and yet there's this kind of mild pandemonium german pandemonium so it was a kind of a crazy time to get to get out of berlin German pandemonium. Do they they have their own brand? If I imagine, it's very precise pandemonium. <laughs> you know, they're, they're they're fairly cool people, but um, this was this was a, definitely a moment of chaos. Although, of course, it was. I remember it was mostly the Americans who were, you know, hey, get out of my way! I got right, a plane right. to catch. You know, so. <laughs> I'm always so proud of our behavior abroad. Yeah, we mean uh, well. We don't. Uh, Fear of flying. Uh, beautiful song. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, and I, I just going to jump in, but I, I always feel a little weird asking someone about the the meaning of, of lyrics and stuff because uh, I figure you you shared what you wanted to share in them, and that's kind of for us. But uh, <laughs> legitimately, an issue, or do you do you have a fear of flying? Do you have some anxiety about getting onto planes? I mean, I, I do, but I also have Valium, you know. <laughs> You know, <laughs> which you I, mentioned I, in the song right i think that's one of the, the things about this album is it's it's actually more literal than anyone might imagine i mean i could i could go song by song and point out what what most of the references are to or what what inspired the songs you know okay. rather than a lot of a lot of my other material is a bit more you know uh, obtuse or something but in this case yeah do i have a fear of flying i uh, sure sure but i fly all the time i think in a way in a way the song is kind of saying i don't even have time for my fear of flying i'm too busy flying i've got to, i'm racing for my next flight and i think as long as i you know get the valium in me in the right you know in time then i'm then i can just fall asleep in my window seat um and, and that, that line about not having time for the fear of flying really hit me yeah of, of just when when we're in that state where we don't actually have time for our fears and our you know, hangups or whatever else. Right, right. I mean, I, I, because I think the thing is, it's, it's really mixed, and that's a lot of my life experience is that everything's very mixed. I, I, I do have a fear of flying, but it's also just a fear of dying, isn't it? It's not just, it's not the flying. I actually like flying. I like taking off. I like landing. <laughs> I like being in the air. I like being in the sort of the spacey, you know, cosmic bubble of 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 mid flight, you know. But um, and you know, watching films, falling asleep, taking more Valium or whatever. But uh, um. That, yeah, that's an old vaudeville joke. I'm not afraid of flying. I'm afraid of crashing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's <laughs> it. I mean, it's it's and so so the, it's a combination of of incessant uh, airplane flights where you're kind of where I'm confronting you know fear of death, but also watching my life go by on an airplane. Um, think you know thinking, wait, which which direction am I even flying this time? And you wake up from a, a, a you know a sleep on a, on a 10 hour flight, you don't, you don't remember which direction you're going and which, which home is home. <laughs> I remember and, going to the counter at the airport and the question was, where are you flying to? And I went, uh, just a minute. And I thought, how did we get to this place in life where uh, it used to be exciting to fly somewhere? Oh, right, this right, is right. great. I'm going to, you know, a state I've never been to, or I'm going, and now it's like, where are you going? I don't know. Let me check my phone. Oh, okay. I'm going here right now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's wild. Uh, the, the song starts off first line, uh, running through, I believe it's the first line, running through the airport in funeral shoes. Yeah, running through the airport in my funeral shoes. Ouch. Mm. Uh, what, a, what an image. Well, yeah, I mean, in the course, I mean, the song was written before this happened, but in the course of the making of this record, my, my best friend died. You know, I, uh, I'm so sorry. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so that that I mean, there's a song uh, called "Oh Dainty Beak" later on the album that's mm -hmm. about her. But yeah, I mean, there's uh, I've also missed a number of funerals. You know, f you know the the parents of friends of mine, or or I had an uncle die 
you know, a year and a half ago. And, and I, I didn't make those funerals. I wasn't able to come back, but that's, that's the idea. Just, you know, that one of these times it's going to be, you're going to be in that airport because someone, another, another person close to you has died. And, you know, and so I think that's always, that's always on my mind now, to be honest, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I love stretching the tethers that we have to, to the place that we call home. Um, the more we do it, I think the more secure we feel and kind of strong we feel in, in the world when we do have to go out there. Um, but yeah, I can certainly be trying when you are, I, I did two weeks in China and hmm, I'm hmm. just so thankful that nothing major happened here while I was there. Even just that my daughter aged two weeks while I was away <laughs> and was talking to her on Skype as often as possible was, you know, a big deal. So I can just imagine when you, I mean, you're, you're gone a lot longer than that. And yeah, it's even something as big as a funeral. It's not, not always possible to get back for it. Right, right, right. You know, life, life is, you know, life and death keep going by no matter where we are, you know? Right. And sometimes we're there for it. And sometimes we miss it, you know? Uh, the song coming home doesn't play like, a. <laughs> Hang on, everybody! Here I come! Woo! We're gonna party! It's uh, it's a very emotional song, and your your voice is a little strained when you're singing. I'm coming home. Uh, like, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, yeah, and I I I wrote it. I was you know very much very much isolated uh, during the time that I wrote that song. Um, nope, I. You know, just just on my own in Berlin, on my own in the apartment for a week, and it was a very dark dark weather, you know, out of, during that week, and um, and I was anticipating, you know, my next flight back to California when I was writing it, but um, and you know, and it was already midway through the writing of this album, and and it's a it's a double album, so there's a lot of material, and as I said yeah. earlier. As I said earlier, it's it's uh, it was a concept album from the beginning, so all the songs are thematically tied together. So by the time I'm writing "Coming Home," you know I'm already well, well underway with with the ideas of of what home means or doesn't mean, or and so forth. So yeah, I, I mean I remember writing that one and just kind of it was it was a it was a weird challenge. It was it, it felt very different uh, to 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 work on that song. It does have a sort of an, an inner darkness and kind of a there's something there was something a little unsettled in me while I was working on it. And I'm, and I'm, I'm glad for that. You know, I, I, I want songs to be, it's, it's easy for me to generate material. You know, I can crank right. out songs, but it's, it's not easy to tap into things that are, that are more genuine. And, and, you know, so I'm, I'm glad if that, if something weird comes across in that song, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Some, some emotion comes across and, uh, it, it makes sense hearing where you wrote it. I, I think that that does come across. Um, for the sake of the people listening to this that may not be familiar with it yet, uh, don't save this for when you want something that's a total bummer all the way through. <laughs> I'm picking a couple places that resonate with me emotionally, <laughs> but there's songs like Featherweight is a blast. I mean, that's a rocker. Um, yeah. You know, and then, uh, uh, what's the Father John? What's the name of that song? Oh, Cowboy uh, Farm, John. Cowboy John. Farmer John. Father John. Cowboy John. All right. Uh, Cowboy John meets Green Sleeves. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. That that's a fun song. Um, and then uh, flying on the ground is all right. Mm-hmm. No, no matter what Buffalo Springfield says, that's uh, right, right. that is another fun one. So yeah, this album has, uh, like I said in the beginning, it goes a lot of places and it takes you on a journey, and some of it is a lot of fun and and uh, would be good to. to bop along with your friends in the car too um the packaging is gorgeous and if there's anything that i'm super jealous of despite the fact that i never learned how to play a musical instrument it's that you get to have this trifold two cds with this little pullout poster adding to the to the weight of the album is the fact the pullout poster is kind of a history of your life and pictures that feels ominous, Anton. <laughs> <laughs> are you saying goodbye with this poster? What are you doing? Wow. Um, <laughs> but uh, I really, I, I love the packaging. And uh, a lot of labels don't even want to support physical media anymore. How do you, where, where do you see that going? Are you going to keep putting out physical product? Yeah. Yeah, I am. I mean, it's, I, 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 don't even i don't know what to do with downloads i downloaded an album today and, and i'm you know i don't know if i i don't know if it's arrived or not i ordered it i don't know if i <laughs> you know um you gotta wait they'll knock on your door when it's uh, <laughs> in your computer 
Yeah. But, but um, no, I, I, and with this one, knowing that it was going to be a double album from the beginning, I think we knew that it needed some, you know, kind of majestic packaging. But I also knew there was no way I could do it on vinyl. Um, especially, you know, if I'm, if I'm, pretend there was no pandemic uh, uh me me ordering vinyl and then carrying that around uh, across your across you know because i travel most of my gigs in europe i'm you know i've got a backpack and a guitar and i get on a plane and, and so uh the idea of carrying a double album around or, or whatever was i, I could we couldn't afford it anyway so right. um but um so we knew we wanted to do something nice but uh, so you know uh julia vbh has to get massive credit for this uh because you know she she really you know, we collaborate on these things, but but she's always responsible for for making you know for for the bulk of the the artwork and making it so beautiful and so um, making you know she ties everything together. Um, and um, yeah, there's a nest. There's a picture of me in a nest on a canal on the front cover, and she built that nest by hand, which is amazing. So, so this is in Photoshop. You're literally sitting in that nest. I'm I am sitting in the nest. She built that nest by hand and I'm um the 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 the, the, the background photo of course is photoshop. That's right. that, that's a photo um of the canal that's around the corner from where I live in Berlin. So I'm I'm on the bridge look, taking that same photo almost every day of my life when I'm there because I just you know I meditate there basically. Uh so we you know putting me in that nest on that canal was it was very very meaningful. Um and the poster um yeah it's it's a life story for sure. Um my yeah, you know, I, I mentioned that my mother died when I was very little. So there's there's a lot of photos of her. There's a lot of there there are photos of my father, and I, I wanted to. He's he's still with us. I wanted to just honor him because he's always been so supportive of what yeah. I do, and so I wanted to make sure that 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 kind of comes across in uh, in in the uh, in the artwork. And there's a, there's even a, a little a little uh, clipping from the Sacramento Union newspaper, which oh wow, is, yeah. So we go way back, right? And uh, it's a picture of my dad. And and me making uh, paper airplanes, and this was in in an article in the Sacramento Union on single fathers, which in the early seventies was an you know a novelty, right? Uh, and so the fact that it's paper airplanes and the fact that this album is 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 themed around flight and airplanes and travel and home and so forth, you know, it all everything kind of fit together with a little bit of magic. So um, no, I don't. It's not. It's not meant to be. There's, it's not a goodbye. <laughs> you know, I can, I can assure, <laughs> I, um, I can assure anybody that, that it's not meant to be that. In fact, I had such a blast making this record that, you know, the idea is like, well, what do I do next? You know, how do I, how do I, how do I follow this up? Although, although Julia's mother says, look, you're done. You've done it. You've done your work. You retire now. You know, so oh, because she loves it so much. Yeah, just it feels like a kind oh, of. Oh, what a nice it, thing to hear. Yeah, I mean, but it feels like sort of I've tidied up my life and I've presented it all. And I, I it's like, well, that's that's great, but uh, you know, where's I, I need I need the millions of dollars to come in from the record sales now to in order to actually retire. So that's a big part of retirement, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's a it's a good segue into the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which is the making of the album. Um, who were the players on the album? Oh my golly! Well, there are a lot of people on this record, and again, uh, they're kind of chosen partly. Partly because there a lot of them are just the people that I always play with anyway. Uh, but but so there are, are there, there some, are, is there a main core of players that you play with that are kind of the Anton Barbeau band? Well, I mean, uh, apart from this album, I I have a band in the UK called Thrust. I used to have a band there called Three Minute Tees. Uh, that was with uh, two of the guys, uh, Andy and Morris, who used to play with Robin Hitchcock. Um, so Morris is on this record. Andy is not on this record. Um, okay. the, guy, the guys from Thrust are on this record uh, doing some singing. In California, I have a band called Kenny, and those guys are backing me up on a few songs. And then uh, I know you are asking about the Joy Boys earlier, and um, Michael Urbano, who was the you know the first the first drummer, the one who in the Joy Boys, who, said, who, who, who insisted that we change the Mellow Submarine's name. He did not want to be a Mellow Submarine, right? So he's he's all he's on a lot of the songs on this record, and Don Hawkins, who is in the Joy Boys, is is playing on this, and so it's it's been great to great to have those guys back on board. I've, I've been working with Urbano on and off for, for for a few years now, but getting Don Hawkins back on board was very significant for me you know just personally he's a great guitarist as well but also just yeah. that kind of bringing things full circle so yeah. um he's on there and um and then some of the people that i play with in england that i've worked with for years um 
some of the people that I know in Berlin, you know, and so forth. There's a guy in in Paris. I'm in a I'm in a French band called Salt, and so <laughs> the 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 this, the songwriter there, Stefan, he plays guitar in one of the songs. And so, you know, kind of pulling people from all over the place to kind of paint the picture of... I love all these different bands that you're in simultaneously. It's Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> uh, I mean, where did you guys record it then? All over the place. I, I do a lot of recording on my own. I mean, at home. And, you know, of course, home is either... Uh, in this case, it's now Auburn. Um, I, I'm... I'm living uh, with Julia on her family farm, so I do a lot of recording here on the farm. I've got a setup, and I've also got a little a little music room in Berlin. So when I'm there, I'm uh, like that song "Coming Home" uh, that you talked about earlier. That was all recorded in a very small room in Berlin, a very dark small room in Berlin. I think that comes across in that song, and I think that song is mostly just me playing all the instruments. So I I do a lot of that, or it's mix and match. Um, Urbano, uh, we did his drums at a studio in Sacramento with Dana Gumbiner. We also did his ah. drums at a different studio in Berkeley. Um, a lot of people record at home and then send their tracks in, you know, you know, in the same way that we were doing this, you know, remotely. Right. Um, and so, so yeah, it, uh, it's recorded all over the place in, in, in whatever way is possible. Uh, my, the guys in my band, Kenny, the, the sort of California band, um, uh, our bass player has a music store. We go to his place and we record the drums and the bass, and the piano at, at the music store. And then, then I work t- on them at home. Can you tell us the name of the music store? We'll give him a free shout out. Uh, yes, it's it's watermelon music in Davis. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do I do comedy there once a month when there's not a yeah. global pandemic going on. I know yeah, yeah, watermelon yeah. music well. Yeah, yeah the uh, the melon ball that's the room, right? Yep. Yeah. So, oh, a fantastic venue. Um, yeah. What uh, what instruments do you play on the album? Um, well, everything. <laughs> you know, I I play guitar and and. Uh, Piano and synthesizer and bass and drums and all the, the kind of the the usual rock instruments. Um, right. And I you know sing and then play whatever else needs playing. <laughs> so who is playing that lovely guitar in Nest of Feathers? Probably Don Hawkins. Yeah, he did some. Yeah, yeah, he did really beautiful stuff. He did. I think he did several guitar parts on that track. So yeah, really. Um, lovely. And I also want to ask you about your your writing process not just the the recording process uh with comedy it's so different you know i i sit and write something alone in my room or in the car but the the development is so much getting out and telling it in front of people and telling it over and over again or even writing it on facebook and seeing what kind of input i get and then i'll write it again uh, three days later with the wording a little different and um do you do you write the music first, the lyrics first? Do you bring it out in front of an audience to develop it, or do you bring it out to an audience when it feels a little more done? What what is your writing process like? It's it's definitely um, well, it's a bit variable, and it's and it's shifted over the years. I I do actually write on computer a lot now, meaning I I, I get Pro Tools or you know, my recording software going and I'll start as soon as I have an idea. I, I, I tend to write, um, um, a musical and lyrical idea at the same time. So a okay. phrase, you know, a phrase will say it's a title. So the, the song Manbird is an easy one. Uh, I knew, I knew the song, I knew there would be a song called Manbird. I knew there, I knew the album was even going to be called Manbird. So I knew with that, that the song had to be sort of a big deal. And, so it's just me. I remember walking home from physiotherapy and I, I knew I had to write the song called Manbird, and I figured it might take two or three or four tries. But so I'm walking home from physiotherapy and just humming into my little, you know, my iPhone and coming up with you know variations on Manbird. Man, you know, what's what's a little what's a melody that fits the you know that those syllables? Um and so then it gets fleshed out, you know, and I get home, pick up the guitar and I'm still singing the man, whatever, and, and start adding, you know, figure out what the chords are as I'm muttering lyrics or, you know, humming a melody or whatever. So it's, it, that, that part of it is pretty kind of simultaneous. Um, although once I got, you know, far along with the guts of the, that song, Manbird, I did then go off to my favorite cafe in Berlin by the canal and I just sat there one morning and just, I wrote and wrote and wrote until I'd gotten the lyrics just right, which is not, that's not typical for me. I don't, you know, usually I'm, a, I'm scrappier than that, but in this case yeah. I knew I need, I needed to just focus. So, um, 
so yeah, it's a you know, long answer, but uh, it's a mix of kind of the music and the words kind of coming together bit by bit at the same time, you know, uh, battling it out for, for attention. Um, but then, like I said, I, I write on the computer, meaning I open up Pro Tools, and as soon as I come up with an idea, I'm recording it in Pro Tools with a click track, and then I can kind of cut and paste. Okay, that's a good verse, so I'm going to move another verse here, and I'll fill in the lyrics later. But I've, I can see the song taking shape on the computer in front of me, and, it, and it's, changed, it's changed my writing and, and compared to the old days where it's just me and the acoustic guitar and old cassette deck, and you have to play through the whole song. I, right. You know, over and over and over. This, this way it happens quite quickly, and I'm recording the song as I'm writing it. Um, I don't I don't often play anything in front of an audience. Well, you know, again, this is all pre or post pandemic talk. I don't <laughs> I, I don't often play something that's under development for an audience anymore. I think I used to do that a lot, but but these days, you know, having just described that I'm writing and recording at the same time, I, it's almost like I don't learn my own songs until after an album comes out because the writing process is different. I'm not sitting right. there. Uh, there's no muscle memory in the in the writing or the the learning of the song. I, I have to learn it once I've made a record out of it. And then go, oh, wait, how's that go again? And and then <laughs> you know, then I get get the band to learn it. And if they if they learn it, then I can kind of stumble my way as well. Um, so I don't know if that was a clear answer or not. But no, uh, it was absolutely very detailed. Mm-hmm. Since since the time that um, you became Anton Barbeau. Uh, as opposed to Anton Barbeau and the Joy Boys, that that kind of I, formative moment we talked about earlier. Do you I write? Mean, no, mo- that's that's 1967. Just to be right. specific, <laughs> as far as I know, I that's when I became Anton Barbeau. I did. Do, I'm sorry. I don't. I'm going to interrupt you and just point out that in the poster, on in the Manbird poster, there's a picture of me as a baby looking at the TV, and I'm staring at Father Anton. He was the priest that I was named after. So, oh wow. That's 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 detail for you, and apparently that's he great. And, and apparently he marched with he marched with Martin Luther King. I didn't. My dad told me that just recently. So there's there's it's all in there. It's all in the poster. You got to buy the album. <laughs> okay, now uh, tell us a little bit about Head in the Clouds, which I just saw you uh, promoting now. Um. Yeah, I, I, the funny thing is, I don't even know that much to say about it because I just got my copy of it. It's um, it's uh, a, it's a compilation put out by um. I mean, the, the record label is is called Frutimer. It's a British label, although I think this is um, on one of their sort of uh, uh, sub labels, strange strange fish or something like that. Um, but it's a, it's a this one uh, Head in the Clouds is a collection of um, songs inspired by I guess what's called the Berlin School. It's kind of a kraut rocky uh, uh, genre that's very sort of synthesizer based, lots of sequences right. and and so forth and. Um, and so this guy Keith, who's been putting out some of my stuff for 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 a number of years, you know, he keeps me in the loop if if there's some some new project uh, coming up. And so he just said, "Hey, do you have anything that's suited?" And I I do, I do a lot of you know synth instrumentals. I'm, yeah. I'm a synth fiend, and so I just happen to have something that that fit. And um, so it went on this this compilation. So I mean, I just we just listened to the the, the record this morning. Um, so I don't I don't know much about it, but um, it's great. You know, it's great stuff. Cool. If people want to grab that, it uh, benefits Berlin schools as well. No, no, no. <laughs> no. I no. think that I read you mentioned Berlin school as in a musical genre, and I right, yeah, took yeah, it yeah. Differently. No, no, <laughs> it benefits nobody, and I think I think the record's already sold out. So you know, everybody's. Right. I yeah, hope it benefits you, Anton. <laughs> it, <laughs> I, I want to ask you real quick about another side project before I let you go. I, I shouldn't uh, address a person as a side project. Um, <laughs> you do a lot of work with Allison Seconds. Yes. And what is that uh, collaboration like? How do you guys write together? Um, well, we've done we've done two albums together, and I, I'm I'm actually the the songwriter for 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 all of the all of the stuff we do. So both both albums are are, writ- are songs written by me. Oh, okay, lyrics um, and music. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, although it's interesting because. From the very beginning, when Allison asked me to write something for her, um, I mean, I think she, I think she asked a bunch of people at the same time. Hey, 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 guys! You know, because she knows. You know, I'm sure she asked Kevin, and she probably, I think she asked Jonah Matranga, and who who knows who else? But a very a, a few people. I, I think I was the only one who got back to her right away, and I'm I'm pretty fast, so I said, "Oh, here's a song." And I, I think what's interesting about the the work I've done with Allison is that I do write particularly well for her. I mean, I've known her, I've been friends with her for so long that maybe that's part of it. Maybe 
I, I know how to sort of pretend that I'm her when I'm writing for her. Right. Oh, that, um, wow. What an interesting idea. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've not written much other, uh, otherwise I've not written much for, for other people. And, um, when I do, it's a bit more like I'm just writing Anton songs and saying, here, here's a song I wrote. Sure. What are you think? But with Allison, some of the songs for very, uh, they, they feel like Allison songs the, the, there's the title track of her second record uh, called uh, little world. And that's just, that's an Allison song. I mean, if I yeah. play that one, I feel like I'm covering her song. If I, I, I listened to it today. And, and like I said, it never occurred to me that you would have written it. I just assumed that you and her wrote that together. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, we got it. That's it's, I mean, it was a thrill for, for both of us, for me and Allison, but we got Colin molding from XTC to sing on that one. Oh, very and, cool. Yeah. And, and that, that came about because I was, he'd he'd played bass on on a track of mine and i went to meet him in swindon to do a pop video for the for for the song of mine called high noon so we we're hanging out between takes uh, uh, and just chatting and um somehow it came up the idea of writing for other people which i don't think colin had done much of or any any of yeah. and so i mentioned oh i'm yeah, I've been. Uh, I've written uh, a couple records with this woman, Allison Seconds, da, 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 and I said, "Oh, I'll send you some of the stuff." So I sent him Little World, and he said, "Oh, I'd love to sing on that." Can, you know, can oh, I sing harmony? Right. Yeah, it's like so. Like, hey, Allison, guess what? Colin Molding has offered to sing. If, on, if you don't mind. Yeah, so that was <laughs> absolute thrill. Oh, um, that's great. Yeah. So. Oh, how um, cool! Um, and, yeah, and I. Oh, go on. I was just going to say that I highly recommend people go check that stuff out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two two records with Allison. The first one is called Bag of Kittens, and that <laughs> that's one's very Allison. Uh, yeah, and that one's, um, that's being reissue, reissued um, quite soon, I think, on a label called Big Stir. And then the second record that we did was called is called Little World. So cool. And uh, are you a head code head coats fan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I don't I, know. I, I love that I, he has the head codees. He, right, he right. All female band that in the beginning, at least, he wrote all their music. He wrote all their lyrics. <laughs> just kind of his outlet for his feminine side. And is, isn't his wife is from Sacramento? Is that right? Oh, that I didn't know. It I, seems yeah. like there's some Sacramento connection because he seems to come through here a fair amount. Yeah, I Bill, saw really childish. I, right, right. I saw him at Ironsides once, and then uh, I I don't know if I knew at the time that his wife was from Sacramento, but um, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so in addition to uh, people should go check out Allison Seconds uh, and they should check out Head in the Clouds, uh, if possible. It's sold out now, I hear, from a good source. Mm-hmm. Um, my biggest hope with this podcast is that uh, some people that maybe weren't familiar with uh, the artists I'm talking to are going to go check you out and become Anton Barbeau fans. I wanted to give you an opportunity to name a couple of um, artists that you would recommend our listeners check out if they're not already familiar with them. Who are, who are some people that are rocking your world lately? Oh, I don't know. Why, I don't know why that's so often a, a, a tough question because, you know, I, I sort of panic and I look around the room and say, Oh, uh, ABBA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or maybe yeah. even just choosing a few. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, you know, I, I, I got into ABBA um, just a couple of years ago and became obsessed with ABBA. So, you know, they're, they're a new band to me. Uh, you know, I, I know like during this pandemic, I, I've always liked Cheap Trick, but I've become the biggest Cheap Trick fan. And then uh, the other one is the Bee Gees. I'm all over the Bee Gees during this pandemic. I'm like, how did I miss? I didn't hate them. I wasn't one of those guys, but I missed just how fantastic they are. <laughs> I, I I wonder also if, if it's a function of us at our age kind of able to to go back and think, hey, what else did I miss? You know, because sure. because I th- I think we're not there's there's no pride anymore. There's no sort of teenage new wave punk rock pride um, to defend, and and right. so so suddenly you know the whole world is made of music that we might not have. Uh, uh, I mean, I I bought my first Bee Gees record a couple of years ago. You know, yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, as far as recommending stuff, I'm, I, I do. I don't. I don't mean this, you know, like you're putting me on the spot. But I'm kind of just uh, panicked. But uh, uh, we, just, <laughs> we just 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 heard the new Moore Brothers record. They're great. The Moore Brothers have a new record out that's um, called Autobiography, and that's a wonderful record. And um, uh, I'm a I'm a huge Julian Cope fan, and he uh, put out a record called Self Civil War not too long ago, and and I think that's one that if anyone 
has been a Julian Cope fan but lost track because he, like me, puts out way too many records. Uh, <laughs> that, that's a good one to reconnect with uh, with him on. Um, cool. And otherwise, otherwise, ABBA, you know. I, pick, <laughs> pick. I think you filled the job. And ABBA's wonderful. I mean, ABBA's so great. What, what fantastic songwriters and this wonderful vocals. Yep, impeccable stuff. I'm blown away, and I I, I really did hate them. Uh, ABBA and Fleetwood Mac are the biggest shocks to my system in recent years. I've become. I, I'm with you on that one. Uh, I haven't gotten too far past Rumors. I've listened to a little bit of Tusk, but Rumors is one of my favorite albums of all time now. And when I was a kid, I, I would have hit you if you told me that someday I would like Fleetwood Mac, and especially that I would like Lindsey Buckingham, Fleetwood Mac more than like early English blues Fleetwood Mac. Right, right, <laughs> I, right. I could almost tolerate back then. But no, what a what a phenomenal album that is. Uh, do do is that do you have a favorite of theirs? Um well I it was Tusk that it's Tusk what done it for me. And that's Tusk is still the That makes know. sense. Tusk is very experimental and and seems to kind of go with this sort of sounds that you're into as well. Well yeah. I mean Manbird as a double album was uh, inspired primarily you know, conceptually by the Beatles' white album, uh, 666 by Aphrodite's Child and Tusk, you know, these three epic double albums. And so, you know, kind of can't escape it. And uh, Cool. And speaking yeah. of people discovering you for the first time, what are your socials and uh, where can you be found in coming days? I know, uh, you know, none of us are able to play live as much or at all uh, as we might like. Um, but what, uh, what do you got coming up where people can uh, check you out? even if it's just your next Facebook post. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's all the, all those, there's all those things, you know, there's Facebook and Instagram and all that. I don't, I don't, I, you know, people can find that. It's easy. They just, if they can spell my name, they can find that. But I think that if I was going to plug something, I would say, um, do check out the Manbird website because, uh, it's, you can see the, you can see the Manbird video, which is, you know, a pretty groovy little video. Um, and that is manbird.antonbarbeau.com. Um, I think that'll, that'll lead you to all the, all the good places. Um, Great. Yeah. But uh, yeah, otherwise I'm, I'm all, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram and all, all those things, whatever, whatever. TikTok, I had, I had a viral hit apparently on TikTok, something like 8 million views. Um, somebody used one of my songs and it, and it went nuts. Um, I love that. Eight, yeah. 8 million or I don't know how many it was, but uh, that's weird. I haven't gotten anything quite like that. We got up to, I think, 63,000. But to see some kid lip syncing my comedy routine uh, was so weird. I was like, oh, this is a thing. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, uh, but I love the way TikTok is set up where it still credits you and everything. Um, Anton, it was wonderful talking to you. And it's, uh, it's lovely having you back in town for a little while. Sorry that we can't take advantage of it by hanging out. But um, I would like to uh, go ahead and close out uh, by playing Manbird and letting folks have a listen and i hope everyone will tune in uh next up we have aaron carnes author of the book in defense of ska are you a ska fan at all sure sure you sure. mentioned I mean, the specials earlier yeah yeah i mean i I'm, I'm not obsessive but i i do love it as a genre yes yeah I, most people that dislike them i feel like I, I mean, I sound like a Zappa fan saying this, but I feel like they don't actually know the thing that they're hating. Aaron has enough to say about that, that he wrote a whole book about it. We're also going to talk about the history of ska and his relationship with ska. He was in a ska band that toured all over the U.S. Mm. He interviewed all the major players in the ska world from first wave, second wave, third wave. And he's even got this idea about the fourth wave that I think is brilliant. So I hope everyone will tune into that. Uh, and thank you all for spending time with us tonight. Here is Manbird by Anton Barbeau. Thank you, Keith. Thank you. Burn, 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 burn,
Taylor